Aurora pinched the Bible. Can she bring it back? No? Oh, good. I may need it. We are in a series on talking about following Jesus, on being a disciple. And tonight's topic is disciples of the Lord Jesus um, surrender and submit their possessions. They are stewards. Their income, their money belongs to him. This is going to be a problem. Um, And so tonight our topic is money. Um, You may have uh, some questions when we've got through teaching some of this, and so at the end of the service, if you would like to ask anything, then Pastor Charlie and Pastor David are here tonight, and they are more than happy to take all of your questions. Let's get set. Can you hold that for me, Trace? Go away. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, again, that we have the opportunity not simply to gather, but to listen and to hear from you. Help us tonight, Lord, to think through this topic, a huge topic in your word and something that obviously you're concerned about and that you care about and that you want us to do the same. So could you help us to understand and having understood to respond appropriately? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Money is a big part of our life. It's convenient. In fact, it's nice to have, and you can't live much without it, can you? Just raise your hand if you'd like to have some more. Let me just ask that question again. Just raise your other hand if you would like to have some more. (laughs) But having money can also be a problem. The problems we have with money can be that we can love it, And Timothy tells us that it's the love of money, which is a root, not the root, but it's a root. It's one of several causes of evil in our world, people chasing money and doing all sorts of bad things from it. It's a problem because we can pursue it. That passage that Rochelle just read to us says to us in verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that can in fact plunge people into ruin and destruction. We can pursue it. And in the process of pursuing it, we lose our way. We can waste it. We can trust it instead of trusting God. And we can look to money to be that which satisfies us, from which we derive our deepest meaning. The Bible says to us very clearly to be careful of the sin of coveting, of desiring what somebody else has got and you wanting it, and then following that through particularly. But even the desire itself is an issue. So tonight I wanted to talk about getting it, having it, and then managing it, just to keep it simple. Getting it. Uh, And this may, you need to listen to this because I may say something that you may or may not agree with in a moment. I'll let you know when I get to it. That means that we as followers of the Lord Jesus, if you're a disciple, we do need to earn money, but we need to earn it in legitimate ways, if we are able to do so. Not everybody is able to work. But the Bible does, in fact, teach us that it's a value, as 
created in God's image and that we as followers of the Lord Jesus are to be people who work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it is actually, says that if people will not work, neither shall they eat. That we are not to live off the charity of others intentionally. However, if you are unemployed and you're trying to get a job, and it's quite acceptable, of course, for you to be the recipient of um, a source of income. But you should use your time wisely and profitably as if you were gainfully employed. So volunteer and help out, whether it's in the church or in the community or whatever. Same with those of us who are retired. Life has not ended. We likewise can use our energy. We've already earned our income. We are now probably have it invested, most certainly, and then we are earning an income off that and we are still to be wise and appropriate stewards of it. This means, of course, too, that all immoral and illegal means occupations are out for us as followers of the Lord Jesus. So I'm not sure how many we have here tonight, but if you're selling drugs or if you're selling your body for sex, then that's not an appropriate means of earning an income. What about a Christian working in a bar, selling alcohol? You're going to have to work that one out. All the way back into the very early centuries, Tertullian, a church father, once confronted a guy who was a Christian, who was a builder, a mason, and he was building a pagan temple to the pagan gods. And he said, why are you building these pagan temples? To which the builder said, well, I have to work. Why do you have to work? Well, I have to earn money. Why do you have to earn money? So that I can feed my family. Why are you building the pagan temple? Well, I have to work. Do you? Do you have to do that? wonder what you would think about that. What about gambling? I've had several people over the years come and ask me, what does the Bible teach about gambling? And the answer is... disciples cast lots and they gathered up all the money that they had placed in the middle when they cast the lots didn't they Josh no <laughs> false prophet the Bible says nothing about gambling however there are other Christian principles that you would need to consider the dangers of gambling are these you are exchanging one uh, money to try and get more money um, without exchange of any goods and services. Okay? That's an issue. It's a, usually exchange of money comes about by the exchange of your goods, labour or services or whatever you're providing, whether it's with your hands or with your head, doesn't matter, but it's an exchange of something for something. In this case, gambling is I'm putting money down and I'm hoping whatever the numbers come up, the horse comes in, the dog comes home, whatever it is, uh, and I, I win, I Increase. That's number one. Number two, it creates unnecessary risk. That the risk wasn't there before and it's creating a risk that you run the risk of losing that money. And then thirdly, it's gain without um, at others' loss. Somebody is losing in order for you to be gaining. They're the problems. It sounds a little bit like investments, doesn't it? And yet investments are certainly okay. You're taking a risk. There is perhaps some exchange of services or you're investing in some goods or services or company. So it's not quite the same, but certainly similar. And the same with insurance. It's minimising risk. The point for us as followers of the Lord Jesus, you need to think that through. There are some people who draw the conclusion and say, no, Christians don't gamble, full stop. And then sadly, they become quite unchristian in the way they deal with that. So the officer's going to have a raffle or something. 
And so the Christian, known to be a Christian in the office situation, would then be saying, no, I don't gamble, I'm not doing that. And so they don't participate. And the non-Christian only sees that as you being a miser or stingy or something else. You're better off saying, listen, I don't gamble, I don't want to do that, but can I make a donation? There's the price of the ticket, you know? Take that money, I'm happy to contribute to what we're trying to do, but I just don't want to be involved in gambling. What about Melbourne Cup Day? Can Christians, you know, put a bit, it's only once a year, national sport, surely that's okay. You have to make up your own mind where you stand on that. There's no Bible verse on it. It's one of those gray areas where you have to determine, Lord, is this an appropriate use of the funds that you've contributed to me? Am I just having fun? Am I participating in it? Or, you know, if you're entering it with a serious view to gaining uh, winnings from it, and that's your goal, then I think you're probably crossing the line in terms of coveting. So, getting it needs to be legitimate ways. Having it. Having money is certainly a great thing to do, but it's also an awesome responsibility. It's okay to save money, but not to use the money that you save as a means to trust in instead of trusting in God. That's the danger. That was in that passage, verse 17. Um, Some people, in seeking to uh, increase their wealth, have deserted God, their relationship and their walk with him. The Bible certainly talks about it's dangerous for us to be storing up in terms of hoarding it. You know, keeping it to ourselves with no sense of passing on or using it for the work of the kingdom or for the benefit of anybody else. That's a danger. Um, And having money, as I said, is a responsibility. And uh, many people suggest, and it's good sound, simple advice, on the 10-10-80 rule, 10%, 10%, 80% of whatever your income is. If your parents give you uh, uh, pocket money, If the tooth fairy comes or however you get money in your life, then it's 10, 10, 80. 10% for God, it's a guideline. 10% for God, 10% for saving, live on the 80%. Pay off your debts, go to the movies, do whatever you want to do with the other 80%. 10% for God, 10% for saving, 80% for the rest to live on. If you can't live on the 80%, then you're probably over living. One of the problems for us in the West, we get... 100% 100% in and we spend 99% on ourselves and we have no money left for God and no money left for saving. And it's going to be a long-term problem. So having it, and we are to be responsible stewards when we've got it. Managing it. We are certainly okay with uh, having it to spend it and the Bible gives us some very clear guidelines. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, Paul gives us about four or five good guidelines on how we are to give Giving is certainly a privilege, and here are the five ways. Number one, when we give with the money we've got in terms of managing it, we should plan to give to God, first 10%, if you like. And I'll I'll come back to the 10% in a moment. Plan to give, and the first priority is first fruits goes to God. That's the first thing that we contribute. Secondly, it's a percentage. Now, whether it's 10%, or whether it's 5%, or whether it's 15%, or whatever the percentage is, is up to you. In the Old Testament, God instructed the, his people that they had to, it was compulsory, they were obligated to set aside a tithe, 10%. That was the Lord's, and it was to be given to the priests um, and for the maintaining of the temple. 
But there were two other tithes, so the tithes came in at about 30%, 33%. But that was all of their income tax, it was their welfare system, it was the whole lot was the tithe. There was no other taxes in Israel besides that. That's in the Old Testament. The tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament, but 1 Corinthians 16 does talk about a percentage, a portion. Depending on how God has prospered you, then you respond accordingly. And if God were to suddenly give you a land full of resources and income, you would certainly be tempted to keep it all for yourself, but you would need to be wise. Rick Warren wrote a book. He's a Baptist pastor in the States. He wrote a book, founded a church, and the book just sold, I think, 40 million copies, whatever it was, and the royalty he got from that made him an instant millionaire. He and his wife Kay made the decision Regardless of the income that comes from the sale of this book, we will stay on the wage that we have been on. We will not increase what our living standard is. Drives the same truck, lives in the same house and so on. Takes a fair bit of discipline. All the other money on millions that came in on top of that, he uses to support the work of God's kingdom in different ways and projects. The first thing, in fact, that he did, I've told you this story before, the first thing he did when he got all this money coming in he went to the church treasurer and he said, I've been here for 25 years. How much money have you paid me for the last 25 years? And he told him. And then Rick Warren wrote out a cheque for that amount of money and paid it back to the church. So effectively, for the 25 years that he was there, it didn't cost the church anything. Now, this is how God works. He does stuff like this. So because Rick Warren was a faithful servant, is a faithful servant, and can handle money and not be tempted by it to keep it for himself and for whatever he wants to do. He rather uses it as a responsible steward. He manages it. God has given it to me to manage. A week later, Time magazine came and interviewed Rick Warren and the very first question they asked him was, how much does it cost the church to have you as a pastor? To which he could say, nothing. It was a marvellous opportunity and a witness and a surprise for the people from Time magazine. Planning on giving? Prioritise it. Percentage, you work out the percentage. 10% is a good place to start. If you can maintain that, terrific. If you can't, then just decrease it. 9%, 8%. Come to the percentage that you can confidently and in submission between you and God give faithfully. But you might be in a position where you can give 11%, 12%, 15 whatever. You work that out between you and God and then give it faithfully. It's to be personal. It's you deciding how much you will give. It's a privilege to give. God doesn't need our money. He can go and do it all himself. But he chooses to involve us and to invite us into a wonderful experience of giving. And it is a privilege and a blessing to give. Come to an experience a little bit later. And it's to be private. You're not to show it off or broadcast to others what you're doing. It's between you and God. So have a plan to give as you manage it. Be aware of what you earn, what your debts are, because the Bible instructs us that we have to pay it off. And also be aware that we will be held accountable for it. Oops. We will be held accountable. One day, God will call us, what did you do with all the resources that I gave you, whether I gave you a lot or whether I gave you a little? In the process of being accountable and in giving... The Bible instructs us that we, it's quite okay for us to spend money on ourselves. In fact, that passage, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, 
I point this out all the time, and it always grabs me. On the contrary, uh, the wind. Verse 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that a great verse? God resources us because he wants us to enjoy ourselves. So there's this balance between, I have to be a responsible steward, God first, savings, live on what I've got left. But in the process of living on what I've got left, it's there for me to be able to have enjoyable experiences. Um, And that's not considered necessarily to be wasting it. So when it comes to giving, God wants us to enjoy ourselves. We are accountable. Just to remind you, money doesn't belong to us anyway. It always belongs to God. He's the owner of it. And he wants it back. And he'll take it back. When you're finished with it, he'll receive it back. You can't take it with you when you go. You know that as well. And because it does belong to God, he is the one who can take it away. He's also the one who can multiply it depending on what he wants to do in your life and depending on what your responding and obedience to him is. God resourced the children of Israel with a great deal of wealth at one stage and instead of them using it to rebuild the temple, they were using it to build their own houses and to pander their own lifestyle. And Haggai chapter 1, Haggai, a minor prophet, Old Testament. Haggai chapter 1, God challenges them and writes to them and says, what's causing the holes in your pocket?" How come you're spending money on this, but you're not getting the returns and you're not getting the benefits? It's because you haven't put me first, God challenges them. God is able to remove it as well as multiply it. You can suddenly have a medical expense that you weren't uh, expecting. You can have some of your equipment fail at home. We live in a world where there are moths and rust and thieves. It's a fallen, broken world, and God allows and sometimes through discipline, will remove it from you. But he can also multiply it. Um, sometimes God can multiply your resources, your money overnight. You know, he can suddenly, he could double it. But you'll own just as much of it then as you owned the day before, which is zero. You don't own it. You're in possession of it. You're responsible to steward it. It's not yours, though. It belongs to somebody else. It belongs to God. And that's the... Christian mentality, the disciples' mentality, is that this is not mine. So I have to be using it, fully aware of that. There was a church in New York who once received a, uh, from a deceased person through their will, they received an inheritance, whatever to call it, $36 million given to this little tiny church in New York City. $36 million. Imagine being on the leadership in that church. God has just given you $36 million. What do you want us to do with that? Oh, well, we can fix the toilets and paint the roof and do the carpet. Do you think that's why God gave you the money? Well, it might be. But it might also be that he wants you to pray and seek his face and work, be involved in kingdom purposes. Having a lot of money is an awesome responsibility. To whom much is given... Much is required, the Bible teaching. So as followers of the Lord Jesus, we need to be aware and conscious. It doesn't belong to us, 
belongs to God. He can remove it, decrease it. He can also multiply it. And sometimes that multiplying is dependent upon our faithfulness to him. Not, in, not invariably, you can be faithful and stay at the same level. God works his purposes out. God uses money to test us. Matthew 6, 19, the Lord Jesus speaks about, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God will give you money and test you. What are you going to do with that? And if you misuse it, then the Lord will discipline you through that because it's a test. So think of your money as that. Lord, this is the test and I want to pass the test. How do I pass this test? How do I use the resources you've given me? It's not only a test, it's a tool. God gives us resources, money, in order for, to use it for him, but also for evangelism and for other purposes involved in this world. Here is a list. Here is a high responsibility. God expects you, with your money, to support your family. That's way up top in the list. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says that if we neglect looking after our family, we are worse than an unbeliever. God expects us to use our resources to look after the family, to look after one another. 1 John 3 says we are to use our money to look after Christian brothers and sisters, not just to speak, but to act and to give, to give especially to the needy. The New Testament is filled with giving to the poor and to widows and to children. We give in response to need, and our church does that very generously. Often when a need has been presented, the church rallies and significant sums have been raised for particular individuals. But the Bible also teaches you to support your spiritual leaders and missionaries, that we are to provide hospitality to strangers, and that we are to support missionary work and parachurch ministries, those on the outside. These are all the ways that God gives us money as a tool to be used for his kingdom purposes. God is the one who gives us all that we have. And I wrote down here directly and indirectly, and then I thought about it. <clears throat> all that we have comes from him. It may not have come directly from him, you know, God turned up and left you an envelope and signed, love God, left you the money. It may not be direct as that, but ultimately it all comes from him. The source goes back to him. Think about water in your house. You turn the tap on and the water comes out. Did God give you the water? No, the plumber put the tap in and the water supply comes from Brisbane's water supply. Where does that come from? Well, eventually it comes from the dams or the rivers, but eventually it'll come from the rain and the snow. Oh, where does that come from? Oh, that's God. Ultimately, it all traces back to him, which is what, exactly what the Bible says. Is that me? It traces uh, the Bible in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, talks about um, all things are from him, for him, and through him, all for his glory. They have their origin in him. Everything comes from him exists by him as an intended for his glory. And Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 talks about uh, God is the one who gives you the ability to make money. You know how some people are good at having money and other people aren't? I think it's certainly true that if we redistributed all of the wealth, this is the false of Marxism, communism, if you redistributed all the wealth in Australia immediately and that everybody got exactly the same amount, so there are no filthy rich billionaires and, and extremely poor people, but everybody has the same, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars each, whatever it is. Within three weeks or a month, it'll go back to that. 
because the people who have money, who make money, know how to handle money and they know they're very good at it. They're skilled at it because that's how God made them. Whereas these people over here are poor, are often poor because not just of circumstances, but because of an inability. God hasn't wired them to be able to be smart with money. And before very long, you'll find that same thing manifesting itself in a society. The world is the way it is, not just because of sin, but because the creator has invested this variety in it. So if you're rich, God has blessed you and provided you with a pretty powerful responsibility that he'll hold you to for account. If you're poor, God is enabling it and he intends you to glorify and honour him in the midst of your lack and to trust him. It all comes from him. Therefore, the Bible teaches us consistently we are to develop the ability to be content, not to be covetous and desiring the bad desiring of more and more and more. It's okay to be ambitious and it's okay to improve, but it's going that next next step where it consumes you. The Bible teaches us be content with what you have. That's a skill to be developed and an attitude to embrace. I said that before, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So what do we do with all of this? You send it on ahead by investing in God's work, God's kingdom. He'll call you to an account. Books will be opened. Your name will be looked up. The resources provided. And what did you do with it? Jesus, God will ask you two questions on the day of judgment. What did you do with my son Jesus? Number one. Number two. What did you do with the resources that I provided for you? Spiritual gifts income, finances, all the rest of it, abilities. Did you use what I gave you? And did you use it for my kingdom and purposes? And we get judged accordingly. Oops. It's demonized, this thing. Make Jesus Lord of all. There's an appropriate response. That's where it all begins. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5 was the Corinthian church who were a bit poor. They were struggling. But there was a need in the church back in Jerusalem and verse, chapter 8, verse 5 talks about how the Corinthians first gave themselves to God and then out of that act of submission, out of their poverty, they also contributed very generously. They gave beyond their means because they wanted to be involved in the privilege of giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Make Jesus Lord of all and then make your decisions about what am I going to be giving. It's personal. Purse. And all. Purse and all. Our discipleship extends to our wallet. So plan to give. 10, 10, 80, whether that's the way you're going to do it, or plan to give by um, structuring your life and resources in such a way that you are able to give. And can I remind you? It's not the amount that you give that God cares about. What is it? It's the amount you have left over. It's not the amount you give. What have you got left? A widow came, once Jesus was watching the treasure, and she put in two little little copper coins, two little small income but blew Jesus away because she in fact gave all that she owned. She didn't own anything else. That was it. No more money. 
and she just gave it all. And that impressed him because she was fully trusting and relying on God. God, It's not the amount you put in. It's how much have you got and what percentage of that is it that you're contributing. That's what God is looking for and what you do with what you have left. There was an experiment done. So where I'm up to? A professor at the University of Virginia and the experiment was to run along the lines of he wanted the students to determine, to discover what elevates the human spirit, what makes us happy. And he said, is happiness because we are engaged in pleasures and activities that we enjoy, having fun? Is that what gives us happiness? Or is happiness coming from somewhere else? Is happiness more from uh, acts of kindness that we do for others, of selfless, selfless acts, whether it's spontaneous or planned or whatever? So he got his class to conduct the experiment to go away and to have one activity of either something that was entirely pleasurable, something that was fun to do, some one of their hobbies or whatever it was that they enjoyed doing, to do that, and then to reflect afterwards and to write down as best they could how they felt about it, what it did for them, how it satisfied them or, you know, the afterglow or whatever. And the surprising thing was, or the not surprising thing was, the students, all of the students responded by coming to the conclusion that it was far more satisfying, there's far more deeper, longer-lasting joy and satisfaction from doing acts of kindness, of giving to others, than there is in just engaging in fun, pleasurable things that we do for ourselves. What Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35 is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more pleasurable. It is longer satisfying. It'll last for a lot longer than the hour or so of satisfaction after doing your hobbies and that. And I've told this story before, but I thought it would be good maybe to close out tonight with it. story of an older lady. Uh, Pastor Greg Laurie tells this story. Uh, she lived in California, and she was elderly. She was short, and she was worried that one day somebody was going to you know, break into her house or rob her things or whatever. She felt threatened. So she went and bought herself a gun. 357 Magnum and she took lessons yeah, it's a big gun uh, she took lessons and so uh, she knew how to fire it learned how to fire it and then she carried it in her handbag felt secure, felt safe and thought that was okay went shopping one day and when she came back from the Woolworths pushing her trolley full of food when she got to her car she saw that four young men had broken into her car and they were horsing around and having a great deal of fun well, she was certainly um, shocked and then she regathered herself and she reached into her handbag and she pulled out the gun and she approached the guys in the car and she said to them, I have a gun, I know how to use it, now get out of my car. They were shaken, um, but they ran off, obviously, thinking the old lady was crazy. They ran straight to the police station. She felt really pleased with herself. She loaded her bags into the car. She returned the trolley to the trolley bay. And when she got back into the driver's seat of the car, she put the key in and it wouldn't go in. The key wouldn't go into the ignition. And then it dawned on her. It wasn't her car. So she did what she should do. She loaded the shopping bags out of that car. Her car was about four or five further up, exactly the same colour and shape and size and all the rest, the same make. <clears throat> Loads the shopping bags into her car, uh, then takes the car and then she drives herself immediately to the police to turn itself in. 
The desk sergeant nearly falls off his chair laughing and he tells her after she's telling the story to to the four youth at the other end of the police station who are reporting a carjacking by an older woman who has thick glasses, who's less than five feet tall and curly white hair and she's got a very large gun. No charges were filed and all the rest of it. What's the point? This. She thought it was her car when it belonged to somebody else. Get it? The money that you have, the possessions that you have, belong to somebody else. He has lent them to you. And he wants you, as a disciple of Jesus, to be very wise and careful and intentional of what you do with that resources that he has provided for you. And he's given us his instructions in his word. He calls us to think differently about money and to think of it as stewards. And God's will, the Bible teaches us, is good and pleasing and perfect. And that comes about when we surrender our lives to him, to Jesus. Romans chapter 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Um, To be renewed in the way you think about things, thinking God's thoughts after him. And then you will discover through experience that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. You can't outgive God. You can't outsmart God. He has a plan for you. And if you follow his plan, you will be blessed beyond belief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father that you provide for us that you watch over us, that you have a plan for us. And we've been reminded tonight, Lord, that you invite us to respond, to choose, to make a personal choice, to acknowledge and to make you Lord of our life, and that all of the decisions we make are to be made in submission to you as Lord, that we are your servants. Thank you for what you have provided for us. Help us, Lord, to be responsible and good stewards of it. To the honour and glory of Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.